This podcast was first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South community access radio station. For more information on Fresh FM, as well as links to other great local podcasts, go on our website freshfm.net or download the accessmedia.nz app. Kia ora katoa and welcome to Cawthron Radio. My name's Natalie Bird and I'm a Senior Communications Advisor at Cawthron and I'm really pleased to be hosting the show for my first time today. We're going to be joined by Dr Laura Kelly, a research scientist in our freshwater science group. I'll chat to Laura about a few different subjects like her study and career pathway into science and the role of science in New Zealand society. But first, Laura's going to share a story with us to set the scene. So take it away, Laura. So... What's the first image that comes to mind for you when describing a scientist? For many people, that's a lab coat, beakers, doing things with test tubes, working in a lab all the time. What if I was to tell you that most of my work life is spent in waders, a t-shirt and sunglasses? What about how scientists come to be scientists, what their pathway is to get there? Most people would probably think books, study, lots of lab work, really academic. I'm going to share with you a bit about my story and pathway into science and how blackberries, a field guide to spiders, dogs and a giant puffball fungus led me on a path to becoming a freshwater scientist. So I grew up on the hills of Lower Hutt, overlooking the Hutt Valley and Wellington Harbour. And I've always been a really curious person. I've always wanted to know how and why. I've been full of questions. When I was a kid, my best friend and neighbour had this spider ID book and we spent hours and hours roaming the hillside through all the bush and scrub, trying to find spiders to identify using her book. And some of my favourite memories of that time are of us piling in with her brothers and sisters into the car with the other neighbourhood kids and our dog and, and heading down to the river. We spent afternoons while we were there picking blackberries. And back then there were these amazing fields, absolutely lined with blackberry bushes. We used to get tons and tons of them filling up a lot of ice cream tubs, which we used to love. We used to eat a lot of them before they made it into the tubs too. When it got hot, we'd jump in the river for a swim and the Hutt River had some amazing swimming holes. We'd put a snorkel and mask on and we'd hold back muesli bars from our lunch and feed baby trout and bullies the muesli bars from our hands. They'd come up and get them straight from your fingertips. A little bit later on at college, I had this amazing science teacher. She was a biologist and one day I remember coming to class and she was just super, super excited to show us something. She wouldn't tell us what it was, so we all filed out of class and, and outside And I just remember her deflating when we got out of the classroom. She looked so upset. And it was because she'd found this fungus, a giant puffball fungus. It was the size of a soccer ball on her way into class. And she was just super excited about being able to show us this puffball fungus. And there was a roadworks crew working outside who'd also found this fungus that morning. And as you do, it's the size of a soccer ball. And so they took it out and kicked it around like a soccer ball. And I just remember her being super upset by the fact that they destroyed this amazing puffball fungus, which is, is so big, you don't normally see them that big. And it kind of taught me a lesson in passion and how important passion is. And that message has stuck with me as I've gone through the rest of my career. Similar in time, while I was in college, there were yearly reports starting to come through about dogs dying after going for swims in the Hutt River, which is a major dog walking area as well. And 
over time, these reports were coming in and, and we eventually worked out, or scientists had worked out, that that was because there was toxic algae in the river that the dogs really liked. They used to eat little bits of it and that would then kill them. And so all of a sudden we were advised not to swim or walk our dogs at the river. And it was really upsetting for me to think that other people wouldn't have the opportunities and connections with the river that I had. And thinking that I couldn't go down and swim in the river the same way I did as a kid either. And certainly as you're coming through as a teenager, having that massive change was quite fundamental to where I ended up. So as I came through university and and started studying and following my passions, I was able to do my PhD in toxic algae research. And so I spent three and a half years seeing if I could find out more about how they work in the hope that we would be able to find some answers so that we could allow people to have these connections in future. One of the things that's always stuck with me, though, is that passion and the time that people have given to me over my science journey and getting to where I am now. And so I try and make sure that I pay that back to new generations as they come through when I can. So that's a bit of a story, I suppose, about how blackberries, dogs, a field guide to spiders and a giant puffball fungus, as much as they seem like a crazy mix of things, have led me on the path to becoming a freshwater scientist. Thank you so much, Laura. That's fantastic. Thank you for sharing. And I guess my first question in response to that is those are great snippets from what sounds very similar to my childhood, a classic Kiwi childhood. And I wonder if you could reflect a little more for us on what it was about that privileged New Zealand childhood that might have been uniquely important in shaping your passion for science. Obviously, it was a lot of play and time spent outdoors, but is there anything else about the experience that was quintessentially Kiwi? Yeah, so I think part of it comes from the chance to discover and ask those questions. And so when you're outside and you see a new bug and you want to find out what that is, or you spend some time watching it to see how it's doing things and how it works, and and that plays a role. But part of it too is that connection and the fact that I value nature and the outdoors so much because of the formative role it played in my childhood. No, it's something that I hold really special to me and I think a lot of Kiwis also hold it really special to them as those memories of playing as a kid and some of the kind of most carefree and enjoyable years of your life. And I think that that gives you that real drive to want to protect it and look after it. Yeah, I definitely agree. What I'm wondering in your story is how did your teacher's passion or other influential role models take that natural curiosity and help build it into something that really gave you a passion for studying and pursuing science as a career? Yeah, so I suppose the important thing to remember at the start is that kids are natural scientists. Kids spend their whole life asking how and why. And as much as it might get annoying that they're sitting there asking why and how does that work all the time, that's the key to being a scientist. It's the fundamental part of science is asking how and why these things are the way that they are, watching them and making those observations and drawing conclusions from that. The passion, I think, I experienced from my biology teachers and not just my first biology teacher but others since and my university lecturers, the ones that really stick with you and the ones that give you lessons to really take away are the ones that have that passion and really care and you get that sense of caring as you go through and I think that's something that's really important to feed through. Scientists study stuff because they care about it and if we can keep those connections going and keep that curiosity I suppose from those kids as they work through into becoming adults, then they'll stay natural scientists. Were there other people in your life or pop culture influences that really encouraged you to pursue science? Yeah, so there were a few that I kind of grew up with. So one of them that some of the kind of 
more mature listeners will recall would be Susie's World. So when I was little, that was a staple of some of my afternoons, being able to watch that. Loved Susie's World. She's great. (laughs) Yeah. So she had some really awesome kind of short science explanations that really worked in with the level that I was at as a child at the time. Steve Irwin and the Crocodile Hunter, that was a huge influence as well. So it's the first time I heard the term zoologist, somebody that studies animals and seeing what he did in the places that he got to go and the animals that he got to work with and I suppose the connection that he had with them was another huge part of my experience as a child. As I got older that developed into documentaries like Sir David Attenborough's documentaries which expanded that more from you know a New Zealand and Australian perspective into the world and seeing what was out there. In terms of female role models, Susie is one. Who were you looking to as a young girl as an inspiration? I think I didn't necessarily have any science role models as women as a child. They weren't as visible, I think, as they are now, and and that's something that has changed a lot since I was young. I looked up to all sorts of scientists in general, and there were the odd women that were there that were celebrated, like Mary Curie and, and things, but there weren't very many local examples, I suppose, of people to aspire to be like except for people in my close personal life who weren't necessarily research scientists so that first biology teacher of mine was a huge inspiration she was an incredible teacher but she was also a scientist and what she was able to convey was pretty special and I was lucky enough to have that special moment later on in my career so as a PhD student I was able to provide a lesson to biology teachers at a training day and she was there and so it was really special to be able to share my knowledge in the other direction at that point And I really valued that experience too. That's so cool. And were you able to tell her about the impact that she'd had on you or do you think she came away with a sense of that? Yeah, so so we definitely had some discussions. So her and another previous biology teacher were both there and we were able to discuss the contribution that they'd made to me getting to where I am. And I think that's something that we need to acknowledge more sometimes is where these people are that are on a pedestal is all of the influences that have gone into getting them to that place. Just in thinking about your earlier story, if curiosity is a really important element of good science outcomes, how do you foster that personal sense of curiosity in your daily work? How do you keep it fresh and exciting? Yeah, so we have a lot of opportunities to do that as a scientist. Some of our work is driven by client-based needs, and so we're researching things that have come up for other people. But we also have research-based science that we do, and so being able to ask questions that are important to us and get funding to follow our passions is a really valuable and important part of our life as a scientist. And one of the things that I really appreciate and, and love about my work is that I get a great mix of going out into the field, into wild places, and places where people might never have been before but I also get to do lab work and work at my desk and so I get a really great mix that lets me satisfy my curiosity. And you're going out into the field next week right? I am so I'm heading off to the field on the west coast tomorrow so I'll be able to get into some amazing wild places on the west coast. And what will you actually be doing while you're out there? So we're doing freshwater monitoring so trying to work out all sorts of things about what creatures are in the environment from the invertebrates so the little bugs that are out there to fish but also what physical characteristics are there that might be driving what is living in that environment as well and so we spend a whole day at a site collecting a whole load of samples and data. And just really quickly before we wrap up Laura I was wondering if you have any advice for young scientists who are potentially considering pursuing a career in science or studying it at university level. What would your advice to them be and how do you think that Farno and community can help them along on that journey? Yeah so I think the first bit 
is the Fano and, and family connections and, and friends are really important. They're crucial to people feeling like it's a possibility to become a scientist. Nobody ever told me that I couldn't, and so I never believed that I couldn't. It was always an open possibility for me. And that's not the case for everybody. And so if people throw up barriers saying that there's not much money to be made or there's no jobs left in that industry anymore, as much as those might be well-meaning, that might put an amazing future scientist off pursuing that as an opportunity. But I also think that for people considering going into science and, and following that pathway is to remember that the pathway is never necessarily smooth and it's not a straight one. You, you don't necessarily see from the start where you're going to end up. And following those twists and turns and enjoying the ride and making the most out of every step along that way is a really important part of making sure you enjoy your journey through into science. That's really great advice. Thank you, Laura. That was Dr. Laura Kelly, a research scientist in our freshwater science group at Cawthorne. Thank you so much. And just before we leave and wrap up, I wanted to share with you that this is Cawthorne Institute's centenary year. We're celebrating 100 years of delivering world-class science that has supported the growth of New Zealand. If you'd like to find out more about the events that we've got planned this year to celebrate our centenary, including an open day and museum exhibit, you can find out more on our website, www.cawthorne.org.nz. Thank you so much for joining us today and we look forward to coming back in a few weeks' time. Thanks to New Zealand On Air for making this podcast available by funding the Access Media Project. Other great podcasts from Fresh FM are available through the accessmedia.nz app or our website freshfm.net.